welcome to C3 Church, Queens Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. Thank you, Eden. Thank you for coming in to do that beautiful communion. It flows from our passage that we're having a look at today as we keep continuing our series questions. And our question today, that's a fun one, does this offend you? (laughs) So we're jumping. So yeah, continuing from the communion that Eden just shared from John 6. Jesus had just physically fed the 5,000 when this had happened, which has probably meant there was probably more like 12,000 because they only counted the men. So you can imagine with women and children, there were many, many people. And they were desperately trying to find him after this. He'd gone away on his own for a bit. But Jesus knew what they wanted. They were searching for him because they wanted another free feed. They ask him some questions. They're looking for a sign. John 6.30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I think they're trying to manipulate him here into feeding them all again, like, hint, hint, what could you do? Um, Be like Moses, give us some manna from heaven. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father that gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up the last day. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. 
Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So as we've seen in this series over the last few weeks, Jesus, of course, doesn't directly answer their, <laughs> their question. He instead challenges their spiritual understanding and their kingdom mindset. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? So there's so much revelation in this passage and this was all so new to them. And we can hear weird phrases like, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And come on, that really is weird to have eternal life. But we understand it because we've had centuries of understanding the Bible and reading it. We know that Jesus used parables and stories and analogies to bring truth to people. And we can relate because we have the communion covenant like we've just participated in then. We know that Jesus was to die on the cross and be resurrected. We know the end game. We've read Revelation, we've read the back of the book, we've read the last chapter, right? But in all fairness, these guys didn't know that. They had no concept of all of this and it really would have been strange. Can you imagine hearing this for the first time? It would indeed have been a hard thing to hear. And it caused them to be offended and walk away. Have you ever experienced hard things? No, no, oh, everyone, funny about that, we've got the right crowd here. Life is full of hard things. As one Aussie Prime Minister said, life wasn't meant to be easy. <laughs> Have you ever had to do a hard thing? Persevere through hard times. Here's something that was hard to hear. Challenge some with some, someone with something that you knew would be hard for them to hear. Parents, we do this with our kids all the time. That's selfish. That's not thinking of others. They don't want to hear that. That's hard to hear. We heard our three-year-old granddaughter this week say to her one-year-old sister, you can keep asking, but the answer is still going to be no. Which is exactly what Granddad Steve had said to her many times that week. So out of the mouth of babes. So I'm like, well, you do understand that concept then, don't you? Because you're telling the one-year-old who can't talk that. So that's cool. Working, studying, gardening and weeding, exercising, dieting, fasting, praying, being in relationships, in marriage, kids, friends, housemates, work colleagues, just humans in general can be hard. Being disciplined in any areas, overcoming addictions to gaming, social media, porn, caffeine, sugar, alcohol. I feel like I'm always needing to be problem-solving. It's hard sometimes. <laughs> We're constantly surrounded by hard things. And I saw a video of the Belgian shop putter 
Jolene Wonko, who ran the 100 metres hurdle to avoid disqualification um, of her team at the European Athletics Team Championship. So let's have a look at that. She's a shot putter, right? <laughs> So she just did that so her team could qualify and get the points and not be disqualified. She did one. It was a hard thing. She's a shot putter. She's used to doing this. She got over every one of those hurdles. They did it in 13 seconds. She did it in 33, but she completed the course. And I love that. She did an awkward, hard thing for the greater good for her team and her country. So what's our reaction when we're faced with hard things? What is our response? I've heard some people go, it's but it's hard. <laughs> it can be a knee-jerk reaction, or we can take some time to contemplate what is really going on here. Take it to God, whatever it is. Struggles with self-discipline, addictions, difficult relationships and circumstances, ill health, struggling with faith. If you are hearing something hard about you, consider the source. Is it someone who actually has credibility in your world or is it coming from their own junk and dysfunction? Or is it a tough truth that you need to hear, even if you don't want to and it seems hard to hear? Bring it to God and pray like David did in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And see what he says to you. Go to a trusted leader who will be honest with you, speak the truth in love, and ask, is there any credence in this? Is this something that I need to look at? And be prepared to do the hard work to bring change, growth, and transformation. Or go to a place of forgiveness letting go and shaking off that hard thing so that it has no place. Our heart attitude goes a long way when dealing with hard things. Can we see the long-term fruit or the good in this? Doing hard things can lead to breakthrough and change. Implementing a healthy lifestyle, study, weeding, being intentional with our marriage and our other relationships. You know, it's tough to stop overspending or fighting addictions and strongholds. It's hard to have tough conversations and put boundaries in place, to work on spiritual disciplines, to fast, just throw that in there again. But there are long-term benefits on the other side. 
Get a prayer partner or mentor and put accountability measures into place. Set yourself up for success. And choose to trust God and praise rather than sink into self-pity or isolation. Yeah. Now keep in mind the enemy, when we're going through trials, he's trying to get a foothold to take you out. <clears throat> when he isolates you, he can torment you with the thoughts that you will, and you just go down a negative path. You won't have people around you feeding you with life-giving words. And if the enemy gets a foothold, it can lead to being offended. What is the fruit of that? Verse 61, Jesus asks them, did this offend you? He goes straight to the heart issue. What is offence? Well, the Greek word is scandalon, which sounds a lot like scandalous. To stumble and stop progress and represents the part of the trap a bait is attached to. So we can fall into a trap and be held prisoner to do the devil's will and be unaware that we're actually in captivity, wondering why we are not going to the next level in God, but we've made God's power in us ineffective. Many years ago, I heard um, a source story on National Geographic documentary where an African tribe were trying to capture these monkeys in the jungle, but the monkeys resided really high in the trees. So the tribesmen lured them to a, the jungle floor with bait sticks in a cage. So the monkeys would slip their hand through the bars of the cage, grab the bait, clench their fist and then they would pull but they couldn't get out and they were trapped and they would literally be cracked on the head by their by the enemy and taken into captivity because they refused to let go of the bait and the monkeys could jump up and down and scream and make a fuss all they liked but they would not get free unless they let go of the bait and it's like people, I just imagine people, you know, we're trying to get a free Coke out of the can, Coke machine, their hands stuck in, let go. That's what we can be like as Christians. Every day we have opportunities to be offended. Offence is one of the most deceptive snares Satan uses to get believers out of the will of God. This trap restrains countless Christians, it severs relationships, and it widens the gulf between us. Jesus said in Luke 17, it is impossible that no offences should come. So although you will encounter offence, you do choose to get to, um, you get to choose how you will react. So what would happen to those monkeys if one of them got a revelation, if I let go of this bait, I could escape up to the high level. It'd be an instant life change, I would actually get their life back. Now Satan dangles that bait of offence and we hold on and we refuse to let go and continue to let the enemy beat us and stop us from running to a higher level in God. So the challenge for us is to stop, be aware, 
Search our hearts and identify and recognize, oh, I'm offended. <laughs> the way we react to offense or perceived offense can either help us grow stronger or make us bitter. So what are some signs you may be offended? This is from uh, John Bevere, who's written a whole book and series called The Bait of Satan, talking about offence. Are you compelled to tell your side of the story? Do you fight thoughts of suspicion or distrust? Are you constantly rehearsing past hurts? Have you lost hope because of what someone did to you? So if you're experiencing that, recognise the spirit behind it and then drop it. That sounds simple, but how? <laughs> well, work through the stages of forgiveness and letting go and then run. Don't keep circling around what offended you, talking about it with others, causing them to take offence on too, meditating on it night and day. Run from it, leave it behind. Choose to meditate on what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and good as Paul encourages us in Philippians 4. These Jews, these men in the crowd talking to Jesus, they walked away from him because they didn't understand him and they took offence at what he said. And the Bible says, offence will come. It's good to be warned. Not maybe, or if you're unfortunate in the wrong place at the right time, it's actually impossible for no offence to, that no offence will come. And we can even be offended when we hear godly advice, what can be perceived as hard. But we don't want to hear it that. We don't like obedience, surrender, submission, putting our flesh to death. They didn't search their hearts to see if there was any offensive way in them. Verse 66, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Instead of spending time, more time with Jesus and understanding him and his teachings more fully, they chose to walk away. But not Peter and some of the other disciples. Their reaction was different. Verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's a whole different spirit here, isn't there? Instead of walking away from Jesus, they drew closer to him. And I think a key is to spend more time with Jesus, understand his teaching and ways and not walk away. And Jesus knew that our human instinct is to walk or run away from seemingly hard things. And there are many in life. It takes a lot of determination and perseverance and surrendering to be able to do this. And we can't do it in our own strength, but we don't need to because we have Holy Spirit. He puts up with us, 
but he will never leave us or forsake us. Amen. And forgiveness is such a key thing. As I said, we can't do it in our own strength. We want to justify ourselves and tell everybody what's happened and let them know that we are outraged. We don't let them off the hook. But forgiveness says, unless you forgive others, you will not be forgiven. With no strings attached and not dependent on the level of sin or offence committed against you. Ouch. Says in the Word of God, forgive all and everyone. There's no exclusions there. And then how many times? 70 times 7. There's just no way of getting out of this. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that we don't use wisdom and you know as to where and when we guard our heart. And we can set boundaries in regards when there's been some serious situations. But in the end, it comes down to letting the offence go. Peter would not have understood all that Jesus was saying. It was really weird and out there at the time. But he had been in Jesus' presence and he knew he had the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. He had a revelation that Jesus was the source, the living water, the bread of life, the life giver, and that's who he needed to be around. We can be tempted to walk away when we're offended, hurt, tired, overwhelmed, disappointed, grieving, but what is the option? I'm in a hard season, so I'm not coming to church. I'm not using my gifts. I'm not being part of God's family. What does this achieve? It doesn't get us out of the problem. It leads to isolation, attacks on our mind, maybe offence, and that's never a good outcome. We need to be actively involved and engaged in our discipleship community where we receive encouragement, purpose, life-giving words, healing, prayer, prophecy. We activate and use the gifts and help others. In the natural, that even releases a serotonin, which we feel makes us feel good, where we can come back to gratefulness and experiencing God's love and presence. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Amen. Okay, let's stand. We're going to pray. Father God, right now, we ask you to search our hearts. Show us any areas that we need to hand over to you that we need victory over. Maybe where we have sinned and hurt others, or we've been offended and harboured forgiveness. See if there is any offensive way in me. Let us hear even those hard things. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. You never leave us or forsake us. And you will challenge, guide and strengthen us as we travel through hard times. We ask for forgiveness and we release others and forgive them. We let go of the bait of offence 
we run to a higher place in God's presence and we walk into freedom in you. Amen. You may be seated. Next Sunday we're going to look more fully into this second section of the question, Lord, to whom shall we go? Which is what I intended to do today, but I just thought there was just so much that was important in that first section. So we're going to be looking at that and I'm very excited to share that with you. And we're now going to do an awkward lapel mic swap over. So please chat with the person next to you and let them know what one of your takeaways from the message today is. And then we will welcome Scott Bainton. There was nothing awkward or weird about that at all. That feels quite normal. Hope you don't get too many phone calls, Nicole, with me, your phone in my pocket, but no, it's all good. Well, awesome. Thank you, Pastor Stephen Nicole, for allowing me to come and share this message with you today. But I thought, Steve, you were going to offend me right at the start there by saying to fast coffee or something silly like that, but you didn't go quite that far, so... I haven't been offended yet, and I hope that I don't offend you in the next 10, 15 minutes with what I'm about to share. But we've got the question, who touched me? Now don't get offended by that, because that could be quite awkward just thinking that question without any context. But let me try and put it in context with you, and I'm pretty sure most of you probably already guessed what story this comes for. What story this comes from in the Bible. But let's start with, close your eyes, imagine this with me. I'm sure most of you here have been to a game of footy at, the, at Optus here in Perth or somewhere in the world or in the country. Maybe if you support the Dockers, maybe you're going to have to go a bit further abroad because you don't quite have the supporter base to make this story good. But let's go with the Matildas if you need to from during the week and uh, but I just want you to picture that you're getting on the train and you head into the footy and the train starts to fill up and it's nice because we live here in the north and suburbs so we can get on the train early before everybody else so you can generally get a seat but then it starts to fill up more and then we're getting closer to the stadium and it's filling up more there's people starting to push in now it's starting to be standing room only we're getting closer and it's getting packed there's people trying to push in the door because they don't want to miss the game we all want to go together and we all want to support our team but it's getting fuller and fuller and everybody's having their own conversation with their own two people that they've come with that's standing shoulder to shoulder and it's getting so full that you can overhear everybody and every conversation. Well, this is kind of the picture of where this story comes from. Thank goodness it's a Bible story because it would be awkward if I was preaching about a story that wasn't in the Bible. But we'll go to Luke 8, 43 to 48. And a woman was there who had had the subject who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him 
and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Don't forget, we're still on this train on the way to the football stadium. So that's what the crowd is like. Packed, full, loud. And then Jesus asked, who touched me? Wow. Just think about that. And if you need to picture that on the train, because that's the only way I can kind of go. Because I'm like, if I'm picturing Jesus, generally I think he's walking down the street on his own or something like that. But this picture of the packed crowd going to the stadium, there's noise, there's commotion. And Jesus asks, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. When the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. When he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So why is this question so significant? Why is it in this series about questions? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons and a couple of different perspectives that we can look at and a couple of reasons why. Firstly, let's have a look at it from Jesus' perspective. What makes him realise or even ask who touched me? Remember, he's in the big crowd and there's people around trying to get close. It isn't, like I said, just Jesus walking down the street and one person comes up and touches him. That would be pretty obvious. But with everyone pushing around and even Peter says, come on, Jesus, in verse 45, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. How are you supposed to know? Then, he, then Jesus answered with, Someone has touched me and I know that power has gone out of me. In verse 46. Why did Jesus ask this? What did he even need, why did he even need to know? Well, I think he wanted to point out to everyone around that the woman had come with her faith to Jesus and not expected him even to stop and pray with her. She'd come with what she needed and was just going to get close. That's all she wanted. Don't forget, she had had the issue of this bleeding for 12 years. I don't know about you, but waiting for that long would be quite difficult and I would probably struggle. And she, as she came into the presence to get a healing that she needed, and, and showing them that it didn't always have to look in a particular way. You didn't have to come to an altar, you didn't have to come to a church, you didn't have to do this, you, whatever it was. That it could look different and he just wanted to show there's different ways that this can happen. I, th I think that he also wanted her to know, or the others that were sceptical, that it wasn't some magical power 
or a strange thing that happened, but it was because of her faith in him. Like, like he said in verse 48, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And I think that he wanted her to know that it was okay what she'd done. It was strange. And to tell others that it was okay. And others were going to have lots of questions about, hold on, you've been like this for a long time, so how has this changed? What's different? Who? Who? Who is this Jesus guy? So she was an example to others of how to come to Jesus with all of our needs, no matter how long they had gone on and how big they were. Don't forget, she shouldn't have even been out in public. Because at, at that day, when she was, uh, had this issue, she was considered unclean. So she shouldn't have even been there to start with. So it's a huge deal for her to even leave the house and come. But now, after this has happened, it's part of her story to tell. It's part of her testimony. And that's probably one of the points that I want you to grab today. If you forget everything else, that's fine. But I want you to take one thing away that these healings, these miracles, these signs are part of your story. And what's your story for? To tell others. I've heard it. Uh, testimony. Tell his story. So when these miracles and, and healings and things like that is not necessarily just for you. It's for everyone around you. It's part of your story. The most powerful thing you have is God first, but your story. And it's, he calls us to tell, it, to tell our story. So that's from Jesus' side. And then we can look at it from the woman's perspective. She had been dealing with this problem for many years. And it had been a long work for her work and time for her healing. And I'm sure it had taken many twists and turns. I'm sure she'd been to plenty of prayer meetings. I'm sure she'd fasted. I'm sure she'd been to other meetings and evangelists or healers or whoever. And I'm sure she'd been to plenty of things. Well, I like to put myself in a story and go, well, how would I act? How would I feel? And I'm not sure how I'd go after 12 years. I'm not sure if I could show up again and go, surely Jesus this time. It's got to be hard. And I know there's people that have probably been waiting for miracles longer than that. And I've heard of miracles after decades. Um, so I'm only telling you my perspective. I've, I think it would be quite difficult. And I'm very sure that she wouldn't have wanted to get up at her house and push into the big crowd and make a scene and get, get a healing that she was wanting. But trust me, again, from my perspective, 
when I get the man flu, I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> As I'm sure all you blokes can uh, back me out with that one. I just want to sit there, lay there, whatever it is. I don't want to be up and going. But again, she pushed through. And if I've got an obvious problem, which I'm pretty sure if you're bleeding for 12 years, it's going to be quite obvious, then the last thing I want to do is be out there again, showing off and going, look, here I am. I've still got this issue. It's been all these times and I've told you that I believe God's going to heal me, but it's still happening. So, what practical steps, because you know that you know that I like practical steps. So here's some practical steps that we can take from this today. Firstly, she got out where Jesus was. She didn't sit at home having a pity party saying, woe is me. I've prayed and I've believed and I've stepped out and nothing has happened for years now. As some of us may have done for quite a period of time already. And there's, I'm not saying for that long, but there's been some things that I've wanted changed, healed from for several years in my life. And I know it's quite easy to go into that pity party place and just go, well, come on God. I've seen this person get healed after two days. What's the go there? I don't know the answer to that one. Sorry, that's not one of my practical tips. I don't know. It's all in God's timing. But I'm sure that at some point she could have got quite easily disheartened to give up. She would have seen others receive, like I said. Secondly, she pushed through to be close to where Jesus was, as in physically close to where he was. So shortly, we're going to open up the altar for any healing or breakthroughs or miracles that you're looking for. Like we said, Leslie has graciously come along to lay hands. And uh, we're just talking quickly before, and she was talking about, at the moment, about access speaking to her about signs and wonders and miracles and expecting that to happen. So we're believing together that there's going to be miracles happen here today. And uh, we're going to ask you to join your faith with our faith because physically neither of us can do anything but with God, with God. So the second, yeah, the first thing she was, she didn't sit at home with her pity party. Second thing, she got close to where Jesus was. Thirdly, and I feel the most important, was she put action to what she was doing. She got up, she moved. She put steps to her faith and combined that with Jesus' healing power to get what she was after. And I was going to stop at three points because that's normally what you need is three points because that's a perfect round number. And then God spoke to me. So we've got a bonus point as well. 
And I'd like to think she, that she would have had family and friends around her to keep encouraging her. And I know the few times that I've been up here with communion and stuff, we've talked about community and showing up for each other. So I believe as we come together and in a community like this and prayer and fasting for the next week and opportunities that we can give to others yeah. with encouragement, but we can also re receive that encouragement from others when we need it. We're not always going to be up. Sometimes we're going to be struggling and we need yeah. that family and friends and community around us. So, you've done well today, you've shown up, you've proven this point works, so tick for you. So, let's move on to a time and uh, Liz is going to come and we're going to create an atmosphere of faith. So, what we're going to do is uh, if you're looking for healing for something and you can, can we kind of move over to this side? If you're looking for a breakthrough in another area, financial relationships, I'll get you to move over to this side. Well, I just want to remind us of those four points before we do. Get out, don't get stuck in your pity party. Push in to where Jesus is. Put action to our faith, which is what we're about to do. And then share with others to enlarge your faith and their faith. And this will position you for the breakthrough that you need. So the other thing I'm going to ask you to do as we stand and if you want to start coming, if you want to healing over this way and uh, breakthrough in whatever, it doesn't bother us what it is, if you need some, want us to come and stand in faith with you. If you're neither of those and you're, that's fine, that's totally fine as well, but I don't want you to switch off. We need you as well. We need you to join our, we all need to join our faith together. Like God says, with two or more gathered, he is there also. So he's here and we're looking for his faith. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give.